Okay, we're going to continue here with the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, after last week's message, I just began thinking more about it, and I just gave a couple of application points with um, you know, how to get a pure heart, and, and some of it I think probably, um, you think, I know this, I know that, um, but Paul says remind, remind them of these things, and so I just want to work through practically, uh, this morning we're looking at seven steps towards a pure heart. And, and pray that God would give that to us. So as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. He began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy and again today blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god you see the promise there is to be in the presence of god and friends whether you believe it or not being in the presence of god is is your will be your greatest joy your greatest happiness the beatific vision from which you get the words beatitude is being in the presence of god and and enjoying his fullness Right? David's hope was being in the presence of God. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Last week we started by talking about this purity of heart that's needed to be in the presence of God. And God desires a pure heart for you and for me. He commands a pure heart. But God's reason for commanding a purity of heart isn't because he wants to deprive us of the pleasures of impurity, right? The lie that we're given is that these pleasures will satisfy us more than God will. And when we direct our desires towards the created thing instead of through the creator, then it's impure. It isn't that God is a killjoy, a celestial sourpuss who lives in fear that someone somewhere might be having a good time. People view God this way. God's motive is a loving desire to impart to us a pleasure and joy and happiness that far exceed both in depth and duration anything that impurity could ever produce. And what might that be? Seeing God. But if we want to see God, if we want to be in his presence, then we have to have a pure heart. So we looked at, this is the review part here, we looked at what the heart is. I call it simply the warehouse of our desires, which is why we're encouraged to guard our heart with all diligence, because from our heart flow all the issues of life. So this heart is the warehouse of our desires, right? And God has created us with desires that are good, but those desires must be directed towards him first and foremost. When we go through him to the created thing, then we experience the satisfaction that God desires for us. We go astray our, when our affections are disoriented, when our affections are misdirected towards the created thing first instead of towards God, then we may have temporary satisfaction. A satisfaction will never last. It leads to brokenness. It leads to emptiness, right? And so as we look at these desires, right, God's given us good desires, but sin separates us from God, from his presence, right? And since that's the case, then our desires can be mis, 
directed. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. These desires that lay in the heart that God created them with uh, were separated from God and, and, and living out those desires according to God's will. And it resulted in all those things there that you see. We looked at those last week. And then, and then Paul talks about these sin lists, right? That all reflect misdirected desires, affections that are oriented in the wrong direction. So this morning as you sit here, as you contemplate your life, I want you to think about your affections and how your affections have been misdirected in such a way that you're pursuing the created thing instead of the creator. I don't have to tell you what that's resulted in in your life, what, that, what the outcome of that has been. So last week I focused on the issue of, of what we look at on the computer, right? The issue uh, of pornography. I, I, I focused on that for just a minute. But friends, that's just a, the big topic, right? That's just what, what men struggle with. It's out there. It's a huge, it's an epidemic. But within the local church, we have, Paul's talking to a local church. All these things are issues. Envy, jealousy. Anger. Go on and on. The Roman Catholics, they talk about the seven deadly sins. No matter how you, whatever you call it, these are all misdirected affections, disoriented affections. You're seeking the created thing and not the creator. The heart is full of misdirected affections. It's crowding out what God has for you. And so the question we looked at last week, is there any hope for the human heart, right? And I said there is hope for the human heart. Then that hope for the human heart begins with receiving a new heart, a heart of flesh that God gives you, that new birth that you receive through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. But then as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to seek purity of heart. There is, we'll look at this word later on, this extirpation of sin. There is this rooting out, uh, a reorienting of, of misdirected affections. As we root out the sin, right, God fills our heart. And we're purified. So as we live out the Christian life, we see first that, that, that pure heart's given at the new birth, but then that heart that's divided becomes undivided. It's purified, and that heart is also hopeful. So as you think of purity, as you think of those sin struggles that you have in your life, and needing to deal with them, needing to address those sin struggles, do you ever do this? I don't feel like it. I don't feel like dealing with it, because I kind of like it. I mean, I like the fact that I have this hope in Christ, but I also like the fact that, that I have this thing that I can kind of find some comfort sometimes in. Or maybe it's too lazy. I don't feel like the struggle, the day-to-day struggle of dealing with the sin, trying to live a pure life. I, I don't like it. I just don't feel like it. Well, Scripture gives us many reasons why we should seek purity of heart. Let's give you a few. James chapter 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Right, the person with a divided heart. Right, last week we looked at the psalm. Lord, give me an undivided heart. Second Corinthians seven. Since we have these promises, let us 
cleanse ourselves. The promise is God's presence, believe it or not. The promise of God being with us. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls. That's, that's the new birth, the first part there. That's the new birth. New birth by your obedience to the truth for a sincerity of brother love. Love one another earnestly, what? From a pure heart. And then, of course, we looked at this last week, 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet, been, not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We'll be in his presence. And everyone who has this hope, what? Purifies himself as he is pure. So, so it's a command. It's assumed you weren't saved from a life of sin to continue in sin. You weren't saved from a life of impurity to continue in purity. You were saved to pursue holiness without which no one will see God, to strive after holiness. And that holiness involves purity of heart. So this morning I want to look at seven practices that promote purity. Because my assumption here is that if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, you have a desire for holiness. We're all together in the struggleness, the struggle against impurity. You know, it's interesting we talk about purity. People talk about losing your purity, right? Oh, they've lost their purity. And, and that's related to, to one specific thing, right? I mean, think about it. It falls on the woman, okay? They've lost their purity. One sin. Friends, we're born in impurity. That, that quote-unquote losing your, your purity is just manifesting the fact that you were born in impurity. The Christian life is what? Growing in purity. You, you start at one end and you begin to grow in that purity. As you become more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. So we want to promote purity in our life. So let's, let's pray. Let's spend some time just like in prayer and ask God. So I'm gonna, it's going to be silent for just a minute. And I want you to pray in your heart, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the impurity in my heart. It may be a shout, right? Hey, McFly, I've been telling you this. Maybe the Holy Spirit will work in your heart and you something will be revealed that, you know, I, I need to work on that. So ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then I'll pray and then we will look at seven practices that promote purity. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the new heart that you give us at the new birth. That you put your spirit within us to cause us to obey you. We thank you that that moment of new birth that you begin to reorient our affections towards you. Our desires are reoriented towards you. We thank you 
for the promises that are there, that you began the good work in us and that you're going to keep working until the day of Christ's return. Lord, I pray for us as a body. Lord, we want to be a holy bride. We want to be a pure bride. Father, we want to be in your presence. So, Father, please work in us, both the will and to do for your pleasure. Lord, please expose sin in our lives. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to work through that. That you would make us like Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first practice that promotes purity is, is simply is, is to believe that you can change, right? How many of you have been stuck in a rut before? You're like, I've been dealing with this like forever and I, I can't get past this and there's just no hope for me. I can't do it. I mean, there may be some moments where you wake up and you have good devotions and, you know, like, I, I can handle this, I can handle this, and then, and then you go and you sin again, and then you fall into this pit of despair. You're like, I can't do this. I, I can't change. I, and so believing is this. I believe God wants me to change, and he will change me as I strive to change. Right? So we have God working and you working, right? Justification, salvation, is all God's work. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to somehow lay hold of Christ's righteousness other than belief. So salvation, justification is all God's work. But there's this thing called sanctification. And you're responsible in this, right? Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out what it means to be saved. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his pleasure, right? So you need to believe. I believe God wants me to change. That's God's will for you. The golden chain of salvation in Romans chapter 8 ends up in you being like Jesus Christ. So God wants you to change. And he will change you as you strive to change. And so this morning you're saying, I can't change you have to believe. That's something you have to do. You have to believe that, that God wants you to change and that he will change you as you strive towards holiness, as you strive towards purity. If you don't, then you have a double mind, right? And James talks about this, right? James is talking about trials. I would say growing in your faith, growing in sanctification, dealing with the struggles of impurity, that's a trial. You lack wisdom, he says. Let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him who asks, ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know some of you pretty well. Some of you I, I don't know at all, really. Some people say, what's God's will for my life? And God's will for your life is that you have a pure heart. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can change? Do you believe God can change you? Friends, if, if you don't think God can change you, then he can't save you, right? 
And so the first step is to believe, to believe that God can change you. You say, I can't change. Can God really change me? My question for you is that, has God changed others around you? Have you seen other people gain, you know, call it victory over sin? Other people grow in their sanctification, grow in their walk with Christ. Have you seen people change? And you look at them and go, wow, God has done an incredible work in their life. And somehow you feel like you didn't get in the boat, right? The boat has left the dock and you didn't get in that boat. You're not in that sanctification boat. You're not in that change boat. You see other people and you're on the shoreline and they're waving at you and you're over here and you're stuck in your sin. So if you've seen that God has changed others and they have the same Holy Spirit living in their heart that you have in your heart, then yes, you can change. And one of the beauties of coming together as the body of Christ, and I'll talk about this minute, is that you're around other people that are being changed, and it gives you hope that change can occur. So, so the first practice that promotes purity is, is believing. And looking, as you do that, looking to Jesus, right? Jesus, Jesus doesn't call you into this hopeless battle where you have to carry this weight of impurity around until the moment you die. Is that what Jesus says in Matthew 11? He says, come to me all who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus doesn't save you to draw you into this existence where he's not going to transform you. You have to carry this weight of sin around that you've been forgiven of. Look to Jesus as you believe that change is possible. And remember Philippians 1.6. I already quoted this earlier, right? Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So first, believe. Secondly, you need to confess. Second practice that promotes purity is confession. I will daily acknowledge my sin before God, the only one who can purify me. Right? You can talk about your sin to other people and kind of commiserate with people, right? Because misery likes company. We've all done that. We're going to joke around about our sin struggles. Like, hi, it's just part of our human nature, right? It's what we do, right? We're, we're sinners when we sin. And, you know, I'm glad I'm not alone in this. You're sharing the struggle with me. And there is a place for that, right? Transparency. I'm going to talk about that. But the person that you need to talk about with respect to your impurity and your sin struggle is God. And you need to do it daily. God wants to hear from you. I love it how kids, it's like, I shouldn't do this, but it's true. My parents, you ever feel like you're the last one your kid comes to when they're struggling with something? <laughs> I'm like, you're dealing with an issue. I'm like, all of you talk to, I'll talk to them. And you're just now coming to us? Who loves you more than anybody on the face of the earth? Your mama does. I love you too, but I can't top a mother's love. So do you think that God doesn't want to hear from you? you think God's not interested in the struggle that you're facing with respect to sin? And thankfully, John records this for us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this already not yet. Right? We've been cleansed. I've been forgiven. 
Like some people I know, they say you don't have to confess sin because you've been forgiven, right? The, the moment you came to faith in Christ, you were forgiven. So why are you confessing sin again? Well, there's this experiential uh, sin. There's this sin that occurs in our life that we're told to come before God. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember why you were saved. Remember that you need Jesus and unload. Don't carry that burden. Could you imagine how hard a life of purity would be if you could never unload, get cleansed? If you're carrying around more and more weight of sin, more and more like this feeling of dirtiness. So we need to confess our sins to God, but here's the one that makes people uncomfortable. Like, no, you don't think we should do that. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, right? So James is talking about healing. There in James chapter 5. And, there, and anytime where there's sickness, you know, there's, there's sometimes there's sin involved. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And, and so, and people say, I don't, I don't want to talk about my sin struggles like that with other people. I don't need to do that. I can talk to God. I, I think it's healthy to be transparent about your sins. Because what you're, what you're doing, okay, is you're enlisting the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you and to be in the battle with you and to hold you accountable. So confession is, is a good thing. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we should stand up here, come up front, you know, once a month and start confessing our sins. I think it's wrong if, if, you, if your church chooses to do that. That's not what I'm espousing. But I think transparency in the local church is health, healthy. I mean, how, how hard is it for people if they come in and they're struggling with impurity, they're struggling with sin, and, and you're the kind of person who comes in and you always have everything in order. Everything is just perfectly in order in your life. You have no struggles. You, you know, you just, you just, oh, that person, they're just, just perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with their family. I could never be that way. I feel so sinful when I'm around them because look at them and look at me. I think it's a loving thing to be transparent about your sins because other people don't feel like they're alone in the struggle. So confess your sins to God. Confess your sins with discernment, right? I will confess my sins to others in the body with discernment. I think it's important. So that they can aid me in the process of purification. That's... As, as we journey through life and journey towards purification, we have to acknowledge the fact that we struggle with impurity. We have to be real about it. So believe and confess and then obey. I talked about this some last week, that obedience is we obey our affections, this divided heart that we have, these misdirected affections. As we obey God, he begins to reorient our affections. But I want to speak specifically about God's word and the role that it plays in that obedience. I will seek purity through God's powerful, revealing, and transforming word. So we look at the concept of, of setting ourselves apart from sin, setting ourselves apart from impurity. We call that sanctification. Right? To sanctify simply means to set apart. So in John chapter 17, Jesus says this, sanctify them, what? In the truth, your word is truth. 
So how is it that we can begin to purify our, our hearts and set ourselves apart from sin? It's by being in God's word. I think you get this. And last week I was pretty hard on you. I was like, if you're not in God's word, don't expect to change. If you're not in God's word, don't expect purity. And I said last week without question, if I sit down with somebody they need counseling and they're struggling in sin, the first question I'm going to ask is, are you reading your Bible? Are you in the word of God? Don't expect purity if your affections aren't being changed by the word of God. Because God's word, it's like James tells us, it's like a mirror. It shows us our sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's word cleanses us. Don't you hate feeling this way? This guy's a duddy, he's a muddy, dirty guy there. God's word is pictured as water that comes down and cleanses us. Removes the impurities. I mean, the context there is husbands and wives, but the principle is the same. God's word roots out the sin in our lives and deals with it at, at its very core. Right? You cut down a tree, you don't take the roots out, you just cut it off. What's going to happen? It's like Medusa's head, right? Branches keep popping up. What do you have to do? You have to get all the way to the core. You have to get to the bottom. I think God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it can pierce. Even If you could divide soul and spirit, if you could, it could go even down to that point. Your friends can't do that for you unless they're speaking God's word. And, and the, the word, I, I use that word extirpation. I don't know why I like that word, extirpation. You had to extirpate sin. That means... Get it at the core. And God's word does that for us. So we have to believe, confess, obey as we are interfacing with God's word and worship. We need to worship. This is the fourth practice that promotes purity because, friends, as we worship, we're transformed as we gaze on the only one who can transform us, right? So I will... Seek transformation by gazing on the only one who can transform me. Your friends can give you good advice. Your parents can give you good advice. They can give you accountability. They can show you where you're right or wrong. But only one person can transform you at the heart level to give you a purity of heart. And that's Jesus Christ. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And we all... With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being purified into the same image. Who's that image? Is the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right. So, so Moses had been in the presence of God. Right? The context is here: it's the Old Covenant, New Covenant. The Old Covenant was glorious; it was wonderful, but it was fading. Right, because Moses had been in the presence of God. And because he'd been in the presence of God, his face was radiating. It had been transformed because he had been worshiping in the presence of God. And he comes down off the mountain. He has to cover his face. But us, we're like, we have an unveiled face. And we're gazing directly at Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that gazing, that beholding, is worshiping Jesus Christ as we know him in his word. 
And he says we're transformed from glory, that moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's glory. We're transformed, transformed from glory to the glory that will be ours when Jesus Christ appears and we see him and we'll be like him. But in the meantime, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. This beholding of Jesus is worshiping. And this is important because you become what you behold. You become what you behold. We think about when I say behold, I mean, it, it could be like literally looking at somebody. Right. And, and that's the struggle I brought up last week. Right. With men on their computers or whoever on their computer gazing at something all day long. How did you get to this point where you're this? You're just so you're so into this sin because I was beholding the computer every day. You become what you behold. How is it that you became so envious? Well, I kept beholding other people and what they had, and I wanted to be like them or have that. And day after day, I did that, and that's what I became. And I could go on and on. You become what you behold. So as we gather together to worship as the body, as the body of Christ, the same is true, right? So, so personally, individually, as you interface with the word of God, as you know Jesus Christ in the word, as you spend times of worship there, reading the word and meditating on the word and praying the word, you are transformed by the word of God. You're transformed by who Christ is in the word. But also when you come together in the body, it happens. So the other part of this is I will seek transformation by gathering with those who are being transformed and who love me enough to help me in the same process. So as we gather together as a body corporately, again, I said this earlier, you see people who are being transformed. And as you see people who are being transformed, as you sing songs of transformation, as you speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, there's this process of transformation that's happening. When you gather with people who love God, you see God. And so you're transformed into the same image. Right? First John chapter 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is, is brought to full maturation in us. We're transformed. So, so when you guys come together to worship, it's a whole lot more than you coming and singing the songs that you like, which is good. Maybe hearing a sermon that you like. Maybe getting to talk to the person that you like. But as we come together, it is a moment of transformation. And again, I talk about this all the time, but I talk about the normal means of grace or the ordinary means of grace, right? There's salvate, salvific grace. There's this grace of salvation. There's also the graces of, of sanctification, God's word, prayer, gathering with God's people. And all these are used to transform us. So as we gather for worship, we're transformed. You're transformed as you worship God daily in his word. So seven practices that pro promote purity. Believe, confess, obey, worship, and ask. If you want something, what do you do? You ask for it. You have not because you don't ask for it. 
You have to ask God to transform you. Are you serious enough about the impurity in your heart? About the disobedience in your life? About the lack of holiness in your life? That you would actually pray to God? That you would actually plead to God? I will plead with God to purify my heart. God, if you don't do anything else for me, Please purify my heart because that's the great hope that I have. I'll be with Jesus and I'll be like him. I'll be pure just as he is pure. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, says, Most men pray often for full purses than pure hearts. Most people pray for material things. I'm all about, we need to pray. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. We need to pray about material things. Things that are temporary. But I know for a fact, like I, I quite frankly, I don't know if you know, I could pray that God would give me lunch in 30 minutes. I don't know if I'm going to get that because I don't know if I'm praying according to his will. But if I cry out to God for purity of heart to be transformed, to become like this Jesus that I'm beholding, that's according to the will of God. And if I ask for that, then God will do that. And that was David's prayer, right? I looked at this last week. As David fell in sin, this horrible sin, right? As great as David was, his sin was just as great. And so after he sins, he cries out to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, I want that. Please, I'm asking you, God, create in me a clean heart. Give me right affections towards you. And then verse 11, he says, cast me not away from your presence. Now, just to understand, David's the king. There is a theological anointing of the Holy Spirit that's given to kings. Saul had that spirit taken from him. David's like, no, don't treat me like he did Saul. Don't do that. And then he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. How many of you have been there? Christianity is just a rut. You're struggling in sin. You feel so impure. You're tired of talking to God about this sin. And you don't feel like dealing with it. God, I need joy in my life. I'm so tired of this. Give me that joy that was mine that very first day that I trusted Christ. Give me a willing spirit. God, I want to change, but you've got to help me. I need that willingness. But you have to ask God for it. And so often, I know his parents, man, man, you get so caught up in the prayer requests for your family and kids and all those things are important, right? But you need to be praying for your pure heart. Do you think you growing in holiness and purity and sanctification is going to be good for your kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's ask God for a pure heart. Believe, confess, obey, worship, ask, and persevere. As Sam said earlier, life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I will not give up in my pursuit of purity, right? We want to do that. We failed again and again and again, and we just want to throw our hands up in the air. Micah, it's probably a book you go to often for your devotions, right? So in this context, really, uh, Micah is personifying Jerusalem, okay? So so rejoice not over me. Jerusalem 
is saying, don't rejoice over me, enemies. Okay, so I'm taking it and I'm personalizing. I think it's fine to do this for application. So Micah says, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Whatever that constant beleaguering sin struggle that you have, that you just pray, you pray to God, take it away and it's there. You can't seem to shake it. Rejoice not over me, lust. Rejoice not over me, envy. Rejoice not over me, greed. On and on and on. When I fall, I shall rise. You are not going to get the best of me. I've been given a promise by my Father in heaven that he's working in me and he's going to keep working until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to give up because God's not giving up. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Right When you're at the bottom of that pit of despair, there's only one way to look up and you see the light. And I pray to God that you're looking at the light of his word, the light of Christ. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case, my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. And friends, for us now, that's, that vindication is not going to come until the day of Christ. We have to persevere. If we fall, we have to rise, right? For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in the times of calamity. I, I love this picture. This showed up in my office um, many years ago. Right, I love this. This, this frog is not going to give in, right? He's, he's got this stork or whatever the thing is by the neck. The righteous fall seven times and they rise again. We persevere. I think sometimes we feel like giving up because we look out at the world and we see everybody else succeeding, don't we? Everybody else has success. Everybody else's life seems to be what I want, but I can't have that life, right? This is an interesting one on a, on a board. May your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. You look at the world and you see other Christians, they're in the same struggle you're in. I've been around long enough to understand this. We're all in the race. We're all on the journey of sanctification. We're all struggling with sin. And so back to a previous point, I mean, I think it's fine to post stuff on social media. But may the Holy Spirit, may the Holy Spirit nudge you if you're embellishing your life to the point of unrealistic. But we persevere because of Christ and what he's doing in us. So we persevere regardless of how we look out the world and see what the world is doing and how well they may be doing or not doing, right? Because, you know, Everybody's struggle in sanctification is different, right? It's all sin, right? It's all impurity. I get that. And God's working through us to, to get rid of that sin and that impurity. He's, he's working through the power of his Holy Spirit to transform us. But if you start comparing your life to other people's life, it's just different. The circumstances that God has brought this person through to get to this point, and they seem like they've got all, you have no idea what they've been through to get to this point. 
Your struggle has been ordained by God, Psalm 139. The race that's been marked out for you is ordained by God. And I get here in this passage, the race marked out for us is to follow Christ. I understand that. But each of us has an individual race that we're running. And it looks different. So persevere in the race that God has given you. That race of purity. And as you do that, you need to anticipate that God is going to work. Because... I am a dearly loved child of God. I will hope in what will be. I will be not despair in the failure of who I have been. Let me say that again. Because I am a dearly loved child of God, I will hope in what I will be, not despair in the failure of who I have been. Right? This is understanding your identity in Christ. That you're not defined by your sin anymore. You're defined by being a child of God in Christ, dearly loved forever. There's no sin that you're ever going to commit as a child of God that's somehow going to change his love for you. We need that as we struggle against sin, as we struggle to battle for purity, to know that God still loves you when you fail for the umpteenth time. Makes a difference. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given us? He said, love that we should be called children of God. Nothing you do changes the status of childhood, right? As parents, you understand this. You give birth to kids, nothing's going to change the fact that they're your child. Nothing. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is they did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Oh, what a hope. I mean, just, just, to, just to wake up and not struggle with sin. To wake up and know the race is done, the journey's through, the struggle is over, the fight is finished. When he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So as a consequence, because we have that hope, because we anticipate that day when sin will be gone, we anticipate that day when we see Christ, we'll be like Christ, we purify ourselves. Just as he is pure. Seven practices that promote purity. Believe, confess, obey, worship, ask, persevere, and anticipate. Because blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to sing a song in a second. I think the cause, cause of Christ. Is that what we're singing? Cause of Christ. So this song is really is directed towards, I believe, um, you know, for this cause I live, for this cause I die, okay? And it's directed towards our heart to fulfill the Great Commission, our heart to take the name of Christ to the nations, our heart to take the name of Christ to people who need a new heart. And so as a follower of Christ, as you struggle with impurity, um, you know, just because you're struggling with impurity doesn't mean that somehow you 
aren't a part of this cause for Christ, right? You are, because we're all struggling for purity. But I want you to think about it in terms of, for this cause I live. For this cause, I will seek purity in my life. For this cause, I want an undivided heart, because people are depending on me to take the gospel to them so that they can have a transformed heart. I need an undivided heart, God, so I can take the message of the gospel to the world. So take this, you know, fight with purity and turn it towards for a cause, the cause of Christ, okay? So as we sing that, I want you to think about that as we stand together. And as we stand up, I'm going to pray as, as the music people come up. Father, we thank you so much for your promises that you're going to transform us. Lord, as, as we stand and sing this song, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and that, that he would uh, reveal again areas that we need to work on. And Father, please transform us. Father, please, from glory to glory, as we gaze on the face of Jesus Christ, as we consider Christ and all that he has done and all that he is, Father, we pray for transformation. We pray for purity in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.